tricked by his bride and outwitted by 30 Philistines. Remember, he made a little bet, a little wager, and he had a riddle for them. And if they couldn't, and he was trying, we see, we talked about gambling a few weeks ago. Some of you didn't like that too much, but you still wouldn't have got your lottery tickets after the service anyways. And uh, you need to be tithing 25% on those. And, uh, but I believe that it's not wise. Gambling is not a wise thing. We see it right here in the life of Samson. We see the fact that many people died because Samson did something he shouldn't have done. And as we've seen so far with Samson, he's not really a very good example of what a Christian or what a judge of Israel should be. He was born to be a judge in Israel. He was sent by God to deliver his people. All we have seen thus far is a man who can't control himself, can't control his passions. And in this passage, once again, we see a very selfish man in Samson. In our text, what we see happen is Samson gets revenge on his enemies. But when we take matters into our own hands and do things our way, the cycle really never ends. We see that here, and I want to give you some principles tonight to be a help. The title of my message this evening is The Bitter Taste of Sweet Revenge. We look at Judges chapter 15 and look at verse number 1. If you have your uh, prayer list there on the back, there's an outline to follow. There are no notes on the screen tonight because I don't know what Jay did with this one. So anyways, there's no notes. And the passages of Scripture, instead of having them up on the screen, you can use your Bibles tonight and we'll look at them, and that will be a good thing. Verse number one, but it came to pass within a while after the time of wheat harvest that Samson visited his wife with a kid. And he said, I will go into my wife into the chamber, but her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hast utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson said, Concerning them, now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught three hundred foxes, and took firebrands, and turned tail to tail, and put a firebrand in the midst of between the two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines, and burn up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and olives. Then the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet I will be avenged of you, and after that I will cease." And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock, Etam. Crazy little passage right here. We're going to take a little bit of time tonight. We're going to see some things to help us tonight. And we've got to remember something. That getting our revenge against those who've wronged us is never right. And it's never worth the cost. It's not your job to even the score. The Bible does say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And I know sometimes we think, well, I'm just helping the Lord out. The Lord don't need our help. In fact, every time someone tries to help the Lord in the Scriptures, 
we see bigger messes come because of it. Let's have a word of prayer. Ivan and I, Father in heaven, we're grateful for you and for who you are. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to be able to preach your word and to study your word. Thank you for our church and our church family, and bless the time that we're here tonight. May we leave here with the truths from your word. I pray you'd move me out of the way, and Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would guide the service and do what only you can do. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we see that, if you remember back to chapter number 14 there, Samson basically left the wedding. His, his, the lady who was going to be his wife was given one, probably the best man or one of those men that were at the wedding. And we see first thing, number one, we see that Samson, number one, Samson returns. He comes back. In verse 1 and 2, we see this here and it says, But it came to pass within a while after in the time of the wheat harvest that Samson visited his wife, with a kid. We see letter A, we see his plan. Earlier, Samson ran from his own wedding in anger. He never stayed to consummate the marriage. And after a time, his anger cools off, and he decides that he's going to amend things with his wife. And what a nice guy. Do you see the present he brings the lady that was supposed to be his wife? Something every woman desires, I'm sure. He brings her a kid, brings her a goat. I'm sure any ladies in the room, would you like a goat? I try. I think Caroline wanted a goat for her birthday today. She got many other things, but she didn't get a goat today. He goes to her with the idea that what will happen is the wedding, he can consummate the wedding and settle in, and things can still happen the way they're supposed to. But you see, he left already. He comes back thinking everything will be okay. And that's one thing where we've got to understand something when it comes to anger. Some people got to learn to get control of it. When we let anger rule in our lives, the Bible talks about be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The very next verse says, neither give place to the devil. And when we're angry and when we're not doing what we should, we give the devil a place, we give him a plot of ground to work in our lives so we see this plan that Samson has. Letter B, we see the problem. Samson's father-in-law refused to allow Samson into the woman's chamber. He said as far as he was concerned, the wedding was off. After all, Samson demonstrated the fact that he didn't really love this woman by the fact that he left and didn't stay during that time. And he also assumes that Samson hated his daughter and gave him to another man. The wedding has been called off. But we see the problem, but we also see a new proposal, let her see. You see the fact the father offers Samson a trade. You see there in verse number 2, look at verse number 2, And her father said, I verily thought thou hast utterly hated her. Therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she take her, I pray thee, instead of her? Samson's father-in-law, or was going to be his father-in-law, offers a trade. He encourages Samson to take the younger, prettier one instead of the girl Samson was to marry in the beginning. Once again, I think this proves that the father here thought that Samson had a very shallow love. And love's a lot more than just how someone appears or how they look. But the problem was, and the thing that we've got to understand is this, Samson had to learn a hard lesson, a hard way. One of the things that he's learning 
is the fact that he can't trust the Philistines. That should have been a given for Samson before this time. Samson had been cheated by these people and wronged in three different ways. He lost his bet because they cheated by threatening his wife if she didn't help get an answer to the riddle. His wife had been taken from him and given to another man, and then the dowry or the bride's price that Samson had paid for the woman had been forfeited as well, and we see that he loses out on all of this. But you see, the problem from the very beginning was Samson shouldn't have been uniting with the Philistines. The Bible gives us a similar comparison in the New Testament for us. If you take your Bibles, hold your place here in Judges 15, because we'll be back here in a few minutes. But go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. God had warned his people in the Old Testament about marrying those that they shouldn't be married to and against forming close relationships with those besides God's people. And he forbids marriage like the one that Samson was about to enter into. And we see here in the New Testament, look what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And it goes through a list of all these different things right here. But I want you to understand something. We just need to be very careful in our friendships, in our relationships. And young people saying in the room tonight, so often I hear a young person, oh, that person is just so, so cute, I really like them. And one of the first questions I ask is this. Are they saved? Oh, I don't know that. They're so cute. That's a problem. A saved child of God should not be marrying an unsaved person. Be not unequally yoked together. It's a biblical principle found in the Word of God. And then sometimes they'll be like, oh, they're, they're Christian. And then they, they're Catholic. So let's let a Catholic and a Christian get, get married and have a kid. And one wants to go to confirmation and one doesn't believe in confirmation. How is that all going to work out? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Be not unequally yoked together. It's important for us to see these things. Be very careful about the close associations you have in your life. The people that you hang around. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Who you hang around matters. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, verse number 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools, they'll be destroyed. The kind of people we want around us should be the type that help us grow stronger in our relationship with God and pull us towards the things of God and not pull us away from God. The Bible talks about iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 
Proverbs 27, 9, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So does the sweetness of a man's friends by hearty counsel. Who you hang around matters. It matters. Your friends matter. Young people in the room, your friends matter. And you say, oh, I can hang out with anybody, and it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So you know better than God does. You walk with wise men, you can be wise. You walk with fools, the Bible says you'll be destroyed. Your friends matter. Who you hang around, who you converse with, who you make agreements with, who you spend your time with. Now let me just say something tonight. I'm not tell- we live in the world today. You have at work and at different things, you have associations with unsaved people. I'm not telling you tonight to never talk to an unsaved person the rest of your life because that's not right either. What's our job? To go and preach the gospel to every creature, right? We live in this world and our job is to get the gospel out. But be very, clo- very careful who you're very close to. There are people in my life, and in case if any of them would watch this on our live stream or listen to my recording, I'm not going to mention names or say how close they are to me. But there are certain people that I love very, 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 very much. But I cannot spend a ton of time with them because it does not help me be a better Christian. Say, so do you avoid them? I don't avoid them. I love them. And I reach out to them and I try to do my very best to be a good testimony, but I'm very careful about it. And I'm not telling you tonight, and that's, it's family. I'll put it that much. I love my family. But I gotta be careful. And I don't, no one in the family or anything in that whole circle, the whole thing, no one could pick up on any of it. They feel just as loved as everyone else but I got to be careful for myself. I got to be careful for my family. And it's important. And we see that, and it's a principle taught here, and we see these things. When we allow ourselves to get too close to a lost world, we'll pay the price in the end. And we see that in the life of Samson over and over and over again. We see, number one, that Samson returns. Number two, we see Samson's revenge. Instead of taking his defeat and going home like a man and to regroup and see what God wanted him to do, Samson plans to get even. Do you realize when you plan to get even, you never can get even? It doesn't work that way. It's impossible. Samson's about to try and get revenge, but this revenge makes everything snowball out of control in his life and those around him. And he learns the truth that violence always begets violence. Look at verse number 3. Go back to our text in Judges chapter 15. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I... It's always worrisome to me. And when people speak and they're concerned, right? first thing you talk about is yourself. One of the things we see right here with Samson... Right here, now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. Samson's focus is on himself right here. 
We see that here. He's concerned about himself. He's concerned about what they've done to him. He's motivated in his revenge by vanity, emptiness. Notice he even seems to justify his actions by claiming that they've done worse than he did. Isn't it amazing when we're doing things we shouldn't do, we always look at someone else and what they're doing? I'm not as bad as those Philistines. That's what Samson was saying. No, Samson, you're just as bad. Sin is sin. And just because someone wrongs you doesn't give you the right to do what's wrong. It's never right to do wrong. It's always right to do what's right. Samson's motivation for attacking the Philistines was all wrong. He should have been attacking them because they were opposing the people of God. God wanted that to happen. He should have been attacking them because that's what God raised him up to do. Instead, he's attacking them and doing it because of his own motivation, not because of what God wanted. You see, and this is a good place for us to just stop for a minute and think about our motivation behind what we do. Why do you serve God tonight? What's your motivation behind it? If you're serving God for what you receive from Him, that's very shallow in our devotion to Him. When we perceive benefits that are no longer there, we'll stop. Why do you serve God? So someone will see me and see what I do. Why do you sing a special in church? What's your motive behind serving God tonight? And our motive should be to please and honor Him is what it should be. What are your motives tonight? What are your goals? What are your motives behind what you do? Examine your motives. Why do you serve God? Why do you come to church? Because I have to. I'm not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I'm supposed to exhort one another and so much the more as I see the day approaching. Pastor talks about that often. What's your motive? Why are you here? Why do you witness? Why do you do what you do? If we're motivated by love for our Savior, and as Paul said, the love of Christ, it constrains me. You think about his love for us and what he did for us. Coming to church on a Wednesday night is not a hard thing to do. So why am I in church? Because I love him. Why do I witness? Because I love him. Why do I sing in the choir? Because I love him and I like to praise him. What's your motive behind what you do? We had VBS last week. Why do you help? So you get recognized Sunday morning for helping? I tell you, that wasn't the case because you did a lot of work for a little, you know, that, and there wasn't much of it. There was a lot of work that got done. I know the love of Christ should constrain us. Why do you do what you do? Why do you live for the Lord? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That should motivate us right there. We see Samson's revenge. We see his motivation. Letter B, we see his methods. Now, this is an interesting method to me, Okay. This is, look at verse 4 and 5. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands. So he took her, 
put a stick on fire in the middle of it and let them go. That's what he did. So you have 300 foxes, divide that in two, you have 150 of these characters, and you have fire in the middle of their tails there, and what's going to happen when a little critter sees fire? They're going to run. And what happens? Run through the wheat fields, they run through all their harvest and burn it all down is what happens. We see the fire of revenge, revenge burnt within Samson's heart. He was upset about losing his wife. But he thought that he could really get the Philistines here. Which leads us to point letter C. He kind of miscalculated just a little bit. He thinks that this will end the matter by what he did. But it didn't work out that way. Look at what the Philistines did in verse number 6. And the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he hath taken his wife and given her to the companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. Because of Samson trying to get revenge, we see a lady and her dad die because of it. Burnt with fire there. And, you know, it's interesting the Philistines were kind of cowards. They didn't go face Sam. Took something else. That's what they did. It shows the truth that revenge has the tendency to escalate. Someone does something or says something about us. We respond back in our actions or our words. They respond back with even harsher words and actions. And so it goes until lives are ruined, reputations are stained, and relationships are shattered forever. It's never God's will for us to seek vengeance against those who hurt us. It is not. Most people think they need to defend their honor. If they are attacked, they show, and they think that's a sign of weakness to not respond. But my Savior said something about turning the other cheek, didn't he? It's not weakness. I think that's where meekness comes into play. And people don't understand the difference between meekness and weakness. Meekness is power under control. We need that in the Christian life. Many people are quick to rise up against those who attack them and attack back with extra in their attacking and that is not God's plan for his children. When we're attacked, don't attack back. That's Bible. To do so puts us on the same level of those who've attacked us. Those who attack others. Those who spread rumors and gossip and try to ruin reputations. And then we try and do the same exact thing. The Bible says, love them that persecute you. If your enemy hunger, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. The Bible says, doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And you say, perfect, I'll do it to heap coals of fire on their head. You missed the whole point of that whole passage in Romans chapter number 12. It's to do what's right. Those who attack others don't love them, but are walking in hatred and reveals pride in our heart. 
When we are walking in pride and retaliate, when we're attacking them back, we're no better than they are. And it's not God's plan for our lives. Now, there are different cases and instances, and I talk about all these things. You get on Facebook and all those different places very much, and one of these days, I think I'm just going to shut my Facebook down. I've, I've been tempted so, oh, so many times. But if someone wrongs you, sexual abuse or things like that, that needs to be handled correctly and dealt with. I'm not talking about you turn the other cheek and just let it go. There's things and proper ways that things are supposed to be handled. And especially if something happens to a kid or a minor, that needs to be dealt with with the police and done right. And there are far too many Christians and a lot of Baptists that don't handle things right with that, and it needs to be done right. I'm not talking about turning the other cheek on something like that. You do what's right and report to the right people so more people don't get hurt. There's a fine line with all that. But someone in church is slandering you a little bit. You can be kind and not go down to their level. You can do what's right. Samson, we see these things here. How should we respond when we're attacked? Not how Samson responded, which leads us to number three. We see Samson's rampage. So the lady dies, her, husband di- her father dies. And then we see when this ham- happens that Samson goes off. Look at verse 7. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet I will be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. You see, once again, he's so focused on himself. Over and over again, this passage on Samson, he's so focused on himself. And verse number 8, And he smote them with hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock, Etam. We see letter A, we see his retaliation. He smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. That means, basically lets us know it was total and absolute slaughter. He killed them all. He didn't stop until they were all dead. He got the ultimate revenge against his enemies. He took their lives. And oftentimes our world will seek and tell us and retaliate in the same way. Someone attacks a family, and you go attack them back. And you'll hear words like, I don't blame them one bit, or I would have done the same thing. We've got to remember something. Vengeance and our flesh, our flesh is so easy to get into the flesh. And I wish I could tell you you've got a pastor who never gives into his flesh and fights that flesh all the time, tooth and nail, and I always walk in the Spirit. I wish I could say that. But the flesh just rears its ugly head at just the wrong time. Well, it's right at the right time. It's, it's like it knows, it knows right when... It's like it knows this is Brian's time. Get Brian right now. This is the time to get Brian. But we can't give in to the flesh. We got to not seek revenge. We need to let God take care of it. And I mean it when I say that. There was a lady that was sick. She went to the doctor. The doctor examined her and did a bunch of tests. And the doctor came back in the room. He said, I'm sorry I have to tell you this, but I'm afraid you somehow contracted rabies. The doctor left the room for a minute, and when he returned, the woman was busy writing on a piece of paper. And he asked, what are you doing? Are you writing your will? What are you doing? And she said, no, I'm making a list of all the people I'm going to bite. (laughs) 
That's the way most people think about revenge right there. We see his retaliation, but letter B, we see his reasons. His reasons for what he did were pure selfishness. And you see that very openly in chapter number or verse number 7 there. He didn't mention he was getting even with the Philistines for what they had said or done against the people of God. He didn't say, he didn't mention God in that passage. He didn't mention the injustices of the Philistines towards God's people. There's no mention of God's will. There's no mention of the Lord getting glory here. There's no mention of the Lord's name. All Samson can think about is himself. I will be avenged of you. And here's the main problem when it comes to vengeance in our lives. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us. Our pride is hurt. Our feelings are wounded. We feel the need to get even. And it's all about us and how we feel and what's been done to us. And this is Samson's problem. It's a problem everybody has when they want to get even. But God has a better way. God has a much better way. And at the bottom of your notes there, on the back of your prayer list there, I put a couple things for you there. Instead of taking matters into your own hands, we leave them in His hands. You go with me to Romans chapter 12. I mentioned these earlier. But let's look at this here. Romans chapter 12. We're rounding the finish line tonight. The finish line might be 10 miles still up the road, but we're rounding the finish line. Romans chapter number 12. And we look at verse number 17, the Bible says, Recompense, recompense to no man evil for evil, providing things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. And I've heard people, that means it's not always possible. Because if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For his written vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. I love verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what we need in Christianity today. When evil happens to us, when those things come, don't be overcome with evil, but take that evil and turn it and be overcome with good. Don't turn into more evil. Instead of taking matters into our own hands, we're to leave them in His hands. If we can trust the Lord for salvation, we can trust Him by giving Him these matters in our lives. There is no greater thing to trust God in than salvation. There's nothing. But we don't trust Him in it. It's like salvation is an easy one to trust Him. But oh, not getting even and giving it to the Lord, I have a hard time with that. Tithing, I have a hard time with that. But the hardest thing that God ever did is save your soul and keep it secure for all eternity. Next thing we see, instead of attacking those who attack us, pray for them, love them, and be good to them. Matthew 5, let's go there for Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew 5, go down to verse number 44. 
But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brother only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. When we think about this, instead of attacking those who attack us, instead we pray for them, we love them, and we be good to them, we are acting like Christians, like God's children. That's how it should be. When people were persecuting Christ, he, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. On Sunday, Stephen, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. Same attitude. You know, if it would have been me, get them all! You know, that, I, I, I hope I wouldn't say that, but that, that has a tendency. That's what my first thought would be. But when someone's hurting you, what's your first thought? Do you pray for them? It's hard for me to be mad at someone I'm praying for. That's why some of you, I pray for you a lot. <laughs> a lot. And I'm teasing when I say that. I pray for you all I do. I honestly do. It's hard to love. And then it's hard for them to really be bad towards you when you're being good to them. I remember there was one time someone had been telling some people some things about me. And anyways, I remember I, I saw them somewhere and they kind of looked scared with me coming up to them. And that was very nice. I think I even bought their food that night. Just be good to people. They could have just had a bad day and you're the one they decided to take it out on. Show Christ to everyone. Be good. Overcome evil with good. The third thing is, instead of seeking revenge, we should thank the Lord that we become unworthy to suffer with Him. Now, don't do, I hear too many people saying, oh, I'm being persecuted for the cause of Christ, and it's your own stupidity is the reason why you're being persecuted. Don't blame Jesus for your stupidity, okay? And far too many people do. Oh, so-and-so is being persecuted for being such a good Christian. No, look at the dumb thing they did. That's why. Now, if you get persecuted for doing what's right, praise God for it. Praise God. But don't be dumb and then blame God for why you're being persecuted. Post on Facebook, don't be dumb. I probably said dumb and stupid like five times tonight, huh? And then number four there, instead of attacking others, we should do what we've been commanded by the Lord to do. We should practice full and complete forgiveness. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Hundreds of thousands of fans were watching Richard Petty as he ended a 45-race losing streak and picked up what was at the time Stock Car's racing biggest purse of $73,500 and 
It all happened in 1979 at the Daytona 500. Petty's win was a complete surprise. Going into the final lap, he was in third place, running half a lap and 30 seconds behind the two leaders. All at once, Cal Yarborough, the driver of the car in second place, tried to pass Donnie Allison in the lead car on the final stretch. This caused the first place Allison to drift inside, and he forced Yarborough onto the infield grass. What happened next was kind of incredible. Yarborough pulled his car back onto the track, caught up with Allison, and forced him into the outside wall. Both vehicles came to a screeching halt. The two drivers jumped out and quickly got into an old-fashioned slugging match. In the meantime, third place Petty cruised by for the win. Donnie Allison, who was leading the race, got his revenge, but in the end, it was bitter, not sweet. And we can experience those same results when we seek to get even with others for things that they do to us or say to us. In this part, passage of Samson that we've read, it teaches us that vengeance is a game that's played by fools. Wise men know when to walk away and leave matters in the hands of a sovereign God who will one day settle all accounts and make all things fair and just. Father, we thank you for the time we've had tonight.